You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 104 of the Ron and Don Show. All brought to you by Les Schwab. In fact, Ron right now is live from the Les Schwab Studios in South Lake Union, and I'm live from the Les Schwab Studios on Queen Anne. Don't forget, we are licensed brokers with Windermere. So if you're in a situation right now where you need to have a conversation, I had a conversation with Lori last night. She lives in Renton. She said, you know what? I'm here with my mom and my granddaughter. We are ready to move. So can you get us out of this house in Renton and then find our forever house? Because my mom is 86 years old and this is going to be her last and final move. So guess what, Lori? Uh, We're going to get after that today. In the meantime, if you need our help, do what Lori did. Reach out. Ron at Windermere.com, Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. Hey, coming up on this show, I was out running with a friend of mine yesterday, and she said she has a lot of friends, professional friends right now, that have been quarantined and doing social distancing and everything else with their partners. And as a result of that, she said she was talking to her divorce attorney the other day, and her divorce attorney has never been so busy. So, Let's talk about that. Esther Perel, in fact, Rod, I know that you've read a lot about Esther Perel or a lot of her stuff. I've listened to some of her TED Talks. Uh, She has some advice. If you are quarantined right now with the one that you used to love, how to fall back in love with them. We'll talk about that. Also, how to be happier uh, when you feel more isolated. And uh, we're also, in fact, let's jump in here right now. Restaurants, Ron, this is about to get... Our our dine-in experience is about to get very, very different this summer, isn't it? Yeah, this is a very weird one. Some interesting stuff on the divorce statistics, so that will be uh, an awakening to have. But as people start to get back to going to restaurants, um, the state of Washington wants to put in a plan that I think some people are going to have some problems with, first of which is you're going to have to give your name, your phone number, your email address, and the exact time you came to the restaurant of your choice every time you go in to sit down at a restaurant. That restaurant is going to be required to maintain that log for 30 days. And in case someone else at the restaurant gets a COVID-19 diagnosis, Evidently, you're going to get contacted by the restaurant. Uh, it seems like that you are now have been in, in close proximity to someone with COVID-19. That seems like a huge burden uh, to place on a restaurant that is struggling to survive right now. Uh, and that's just one of the measures that you're going to have to do. There you have fewer tables. Um, you're going to have to be six feet away. The uh, Every menu needs to be disposable. And when your server comes over, they are going to look like they're in a hazmat suit. They're going to have to have masks on, gloves on, hand you the menu, and then back up six feet away from the table while you decide to place your order. Um, this checklist has been given out by the governor as we are going to phase into this next situation. So I'm trying to imagine that in the restaurants that I go to. Would that even be enjoyable? Would it be enjoyable to go to your favorite restaurant and to basically have to give over your personal contact information and dine in that setting? Maybe it's just easier to get takeout and take it home because that does not seem like an enjoyable dining experience to me. 
Yeah, I noticed on your Facebook page, you're, you're, you're still going to a restaurant, but you're kind of taking a, a different approach on it. And your approach is what I think the approach will continue to be. Because I don't, I'm sitting here with a 10 year old. The last thing I want to do in a dining experience is walk into a restaurant and then look at the waitstaff in hazmat suits because all that's going to do is remind me about the virus, right? Even when, even when I go on a run, I've decided I, I go early in the morning now or I go late in the evening when I don't have to see people and it's just myself and our dog. Because every time I go on a run and someone turns their back on me or they cover their face or they say something to me because I'm running without a mask, and I've done a lot of reading and research about running and exercising, and you don't need to wear a mask. And other people don't need to be afraid of you when you're running and you're exercising unless you stop, sneeze, cough, or do a farmer blow right in front of them. Then there's probably some concern there. But when I go for a run, I go to get away from all this, right? And when I see someone with a mask or reacting to me on a trail, it's like, you know what, I'd rather just be out here at night or early in the morning with a headlamp on, and by myself. So for you, kind of tell everybody your approach uh, on, on restaurants, because I think going into the future, this is a cool way to still support restaurants uh, without having to go inside. I mean, I've just been doing takeaway. Like there's a, a, a Korean barbecue place down the street from my house, super friendly people. They make very good food. And you go in, there's a giant plexiglass separation booth, basically, where the, the the worker sits and you walk up, you place your order and then you leave. Uh, there are all the seats are, are piled on top of the tables. There's no place to sit. And so you can either do that or put your order in online. Um, I, I listen, one in 10 people in the world is a tra is attached to hospitality. Think about that for a minute. One in 10 jobs on the planet is attached to hospitality in some way, shape, or form. That's, that's an incredible amount of people. And this just, I mean, I get it. I get it that you have to come up with a plan and you have to come up with a way to try and open it. I think the, the burden on this, it seems like the state should create some sort of app. If you want to track the information, I don't think you put that on small business owners to, hey, do our work for us. I think if you're going to require that during this, these two months when we've been unable to open, you know, hire some software developers and say, here's, a, here's an iPad. And when people come in, they got to check in and we are going to track it. Like we're the ones that we're going to feed this information to the University of Washington or we're going to feed this information uh, into a giant database so that we can track it. Like expecting a restaurant to serve the food, make the food, be six feet away, create all these menus, have PPE for all their staff and be the data collection point for the state of Washington. That seems like too much to me. And, and you're paying your taxes and you're doing your B&O, like all of that stuff that you just keep shoveling onto the shoulders of a small business owner. It's too much. So, you know, some business is not going to be able to do this to the letter of the law and they're going to get reported. And so now uh, they're going to get fined or an inspector is going to come in. It's like, hey, dude, we're just trying to to put food on our table, so to speak, literally and figuratively. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like too much of a burden to me. I, I, I think... Um, it's unreasonable, but uh, it's reasonable, but unreasonable. 
Yeah. Would you take your significant other into in, into a restaurant under those conditions? Or and and by the way, Ron did something really cool. He he picks a night a week. He'll go to a restaurant that he supports. He takes the food. He plates it beautifully. Uh, I'm unable to plate food beautifully. Uh, in fact, when you taste my food, you're like, wow, that is a lot better than it actually looks because I can't plate. I don't know how to do that. He can. So he plates it. And then he talks about the food, where he got it from, the restaurant. And so he's really supporting the restaurants because he has thousands and thousands of followers on social media. But at the same time, he's eating their food, but he's dining at home. He's still getting out. You're jumping in the car. You're stopping by. And I think what you're going to see with a lot of these restaurants is they're just going to get rid of their dining halls. They're going to say, hey, I don't need a brick and mortar dining hall. You look at Ethan Stoll right now, uh, the top of Queen Anne. Initially, he was going to shutter uh, all his restaurants. Then he saw what the Canlis brothers were doing when they were on the front page of Seattle Times. 100 cars lined up uh, to support the Canlis brothers through a drive through through a fine dining restaurant experience. And then uh, Stoll said, you know what? I'm a gamer. I'm going to do that too. And so anytime you drive by on Queen Anne in my neighborhood, How to Cook a Wolf, every afternoon they're set up. And you, they have a really small dining room there. So what they've done is they've turned their dining room basically into a place where they open up the windows, they keep all their stock, you can buy a bottle of wine, and they have turned that place into a non-dining restaurant. If I'm Ethan Stoll, I'm going to continue to do that because business is pretty good. People don't have to come in and dress up in hazmat suits, and I'm not going in there uh, with my 10-year-old anyway. A couple other things that are interesting here, too, and then we're going to talk about some happier, funner stuff. Uh, airlines right now having a really hard time. Uh, getting people to wear their masks. There was a United flight where the pilot got on the radio, uh, I think it was two days ago, and apologized for such a crowded plane and had to ask people and beg people to put their mask on, to wear their masks, and people aren't having it. Uh, also, Cal State Poly announced this morning, and they have over 500,000 students. They're the biggest university in the country. They have announced after a $337 million loss in the spring uh, that they are not asking their students to come back to school in the fall. They're going to continue to socially distance and they are going to continue to learn online. And here's the question. A lot of times when the economy craters, parents go to their kids and say, you know what you need to do? You know, you need to go get an education. Now your education is sitting at home. Part of the university experience is not just going to school and sitting there with your professor, but you think about a lot of times, this is where you meet your future partner. This is where you play sports. This is where you socially connect. This is where you get involved in philanthropy. This is where you grow up because you get away from your parents. And uh, it's a rite of passage for a lot of young adults. It'll be interesting to see if online, uh, a lot of these big universities will still have uh, this following. So that has to be a real concern right there. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, let's talk about being happier. Uh, let's also talk about our sex partners. And uh, you ever hear this phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going? Uh, I hear that phrase all the time. I hear all kinds of phrases all the time. And usually they came from my grandparents or it came from my mother, even my father. They have all these phrases. And a lot of times, as I've gotten older, I kind of poo-poo some of these phrases, right? Uh, if there's a will, there's a way. My mom says that a lot. So what I started doing is taking a lot of these phrases. When the gold is tough, the tough get going. 
And I said, these phrases have to come from somewhere. They must mean something. And so I studied that phrase. You're not going to believe who said it, why they said it, who they said it to, and what it means. We'll talk about that next. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. It's episode number 104. Uh, and don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. We'd love to sit down with you and do a virtual sit down. And someday we're going to sit down together too, all right? We have a little cat mug we'll send you. And let's talk about buying, selling, investing, or hey, I'm in a position right now where I can't pay my mortgage. What does the future look like? Let's do a Ron and Don sit down. Reach out to Ron, Ron at Windermere.com and Don. O'Neill at windermere.com. I, I share this at the top of the show. I was out on a run uh, with my friend, and she told me she has a lot of friends that are in their 40s and 50s. Uh, they've been at home with their partners. She also is a really good friend to a divorce attorney, her divorce attorney, and they were having this conversation, and the divorce attorney said, you would not believe, you would not believe the phone calls I'm getting. Uh, people that are ready to get divorced after they've been kind of stuck together uh, for the last couple months. I think divorce attorneys are going to be real busy. And I also think nine months from now, emergency rooms, Ron, are going to be very busy because I think there's going to be a baby boom here too, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, I think relationships are hard. Part of the rhythm of a relationship, if it's a friendship, if it's a marriage, if it's dating, even with your children, to me, part of the rhythm of that is you can't be with anyone 100% of the time. Like we, we all, We've all met those people that, that can do that. I think it's very, very rare that you'll see someone's like, oh, we work together, we live together, we're happily married, and we just were in, 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 in we're, it's, it's whatever the word is, we're unseparated. Um, and I think that's super rare. Most people, you need to have an ebb and flow. You need to get away from them and miss them and appreciate some things about them and then come back and you have this flow. When I think what you're talking about, when you see two people that are with each other the whole time in a stressful situation, you tell the story to yourself that, wow, this is super in a super unusual time. Uh, I need to be compassionate to myself, and this is uh, atypical. But then uh, it's easy to not give that space to your significant others in your life. It's easy to hold them to this perfection standard. And it's like, why aren't they being, you know, cleaning up the house? Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they being affectionate? Why aren't they cleaning up? Why didn't they make the bed? And in your mind, you're telling yourself, oh, you, d- you deserve to have macaroni and cheese. You deserve to sleep in today because this is really stressful. You deserve to skip a workout because we're in quarantine. Uh, and so you have these two different standards going on and then the fights happen and you know how to push their buttons. They know how to push your buttons uh, and you have nowhere to go and you yeah. can't you know, go blow off steam and go to the movie theater. You can't go down whatever you're, you can't go down to the local bar. You can't go to the casino. You can't go out into a restaurant as we just talked about. And so now you're stuck and it's a negative feedback loop. Uh, And so I, I hope that folks might, you might call the divorce attorney, but I hope they 
give it a second chance, most people, to say, hey, this is extraordinary times, and I do need to extend grace to myself and also to the people important to me. They're struggling too, and they're taking stuff out on me too, and they're pushing my buttons because I happen to be here. Some of this stuff is not even for me. It's for them, uh, and I happen to be in the way. And so... Yeah, it's it's. It, I think it's very very hard. I've listened to some of those Esther Perel episodes that you talked about of uh, an amazing psychotherapist that has done some incredible work. Look her up. Uh, speaks like nine languages, and it's just people that it's 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 hard to get out of your own way, and it's hard to go to have compassion when you're feeling compressed. She's great because it's all out on the table with her. Esther Perel, listen to some of her TED Talks. She's written some great books. She's great online. Uh, she's great on social media. And when people say no judgment, I know that that is a, a thing a lot of people are saying right now when it comes to therapy. There's no judgment. And then they judge the hell out of you. With her, there really is no judgment. It's like, should you have an affair? No judgment. And then she talks about the different, the different reasons that people have an affair. And when you're done... She, she doesn't push you either way. She just explains it to you about why people do that so you can understand it. And, and then it's up to you to make a decision on whether you should have an affair or not. Hey, here's a couple things, a couple tips after uh, they sat down with her and some other therapists. Uh, if you are at home and you're sheltering in place and you want to get out of that shelter and take a break, they said, here's some things that you can do with your partner. Are you ready? Number one, uh, you're supposed to sit down with your partner when the kids go to bed. And you're supposed to describe the things that turn you on with no judgment. No judgment. Especially when you've been with somebody for a number of years. And maybe there's some things that you do on your own where you go online, you look at some videos, and you hide that from them. Because you think they're going to judge you or think you're weird or think you're crazy or you're too sexual or you're too hypersexual or whatever it is. You're supposed to sit down and just have those conversations about the things that really turn you on and there's some surprise conversations that come out of that and maybe some surprise actions that end up coming out of that. So try that uh, when the kids go to bed tonight. All right. Number two, touch each other in ways that aren't sexual. Uh, they talked to uh, John Gottman. He's a renowned, renowned uh, uh, relationship expert. And he said, try the 20 second hug. I've done the 20 second hug with Ron before. And uh, the 20 second hug is awesome. But if you don't like to be hugged, it is horrible. And it is really, really uncomfortable. Try the 20-second hug. I did that with my mom who was just here who's not a hugger. And she had no idea what I was doing. And she got really uncomfortable. So you might want to explain it to your mom uh, before you give her a 20-second bear hug. And then they also said 20-second hug every day and a six-second kiss every day. Also, number three. Complete Dr. Gary Chapman's five love languages. There's a test. Ron, I see a lot of people talking about the love languages online. What are the love languages? This is a classic thing. It's been around for years, but it's basically how do you, what, are, what is your preference on the way you receive love uh, and knowing what yours is and knowing what your partner's is. And so they are words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. And the thing that really unlocks this is when you recognize what the dissonance is. So if you are a gift giver and I am a 
words of affirmation person and you go out and buy me roses and chocolates and bring them over and say, here, I bought this for you. Uh, and I will, after a while it becomes toxic. And I like, I don't care about your flowers. You never tell me that you, I'm valuable to you or vice versa. And so it's recognizing where it's like, and then vice versa for me, if all I do is tell you, Hey, you're great. And you did this and congratulations on that. And I love you for this and I love you for that. And I never give you anything. Same thing applies. I need to go out and show you the way that you like to be told. So if yeah. you're a gift giver, uh, the part it's on, it's beholden when you read, if both partners read this book, it becomes apparent where it's like, okay, when you want to reach me, you have to say it. And when I want to reach you, I need to give you a gift or make you a gift. Yeah. And so once you understand these love languages, uh, you can, and then you get, you understand it. So when I know that when you bring me flowers, that what you're actually doing is saying that you love, love me. And, and so it's, it's become more symbiotic, but it's an interesting test to take and to find out what your, your primary and your secondary ones are. And if you get two people that have the same ones, those relationships can be very uh, romantic and passionate. If you get two people that both of them are different, there's a lot of flyby miscommunications that happen. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a gift giver. I was dating a girl. I remember uh, there was a birthday party, and she's a twin, and I brought her twin flowers. I brought her flowers. I brought her mom flowers. And we're sitting down at the table. The niece was there, and they took out nobody, – nobody thanked me for the flowers. And it was really – it was – and then they took the flowers, and they laughed about the flowers, and then they put the flowers in front of the niece, and then the niece took the flowers, and she started pulling all the petals off the flowers and then, and then throwing them at people. And they thought that was awesome. And I sat there and I was a little devastated by it because I'm like, wow, I just spent like $75 in flowers. I honored your mom. It's not her birthday today. Your sister. I'm not dating her. I'm dating you. And I was a little destroyed by that. Uh, I had given her another gift and she turned around and she gave it to a friend because her friend needed this gift. And, and, and come to find out, it's not that she didn't love me or care about me. It's that gifts weren't important uh, to her. And I learned that uh, uh, kind of through that process. Uh, they go on to say, when you're going to spend some time together, shut the door and lock it. It creates anticipation, right? Make sure there's no screens that you've taken those screens that you've turned off your phones. And then uh, that tells your brain and your partner's brain that, hey, now, bon chicka, bow, bow. Uh, something's about to happen. And then uh, just take a moment for yourself and your partner and just acknowledge uh, that everybody is trying here, all right? Everybody's trying. Esther Perel, TED Talks, awesome, you guys. And as Ron said, before you call the divorce attorney, uh, spend some time with her online and listening to some relationship experts because there's some really good stuff out there. Hey, we come back. The going gets tough, so the tough get going. So my grandpa always said, Grandpa Charlie. Uh, what does that mean? All these phrases we hear. A lot of these phrases that we hear uh, and as we've gotten older, we don't adapt to those because we're like, that's something my grandparents said or my mom said, right? If there's a will, there's a way. There's a reason for everything. Where do these phrases come from? I started digging into those. And we'll talk about that next. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. 
You're listening to my dad's podcast. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on ronanddonradio.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back. Episode number 104 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron, I'm Don. We're live from the Les Schwab Studios today. And uh, our thanks to Les Schwab for sponsoring the Ron and Don Show this year. You wanted more. That's right. Now you have three episodes of the Ron and Don Show. Everything at ronanddon.com about being licensed realtors. If you need our help right now, we'd love to do a virtual sit down and also lots of cool stuff because now we have 104 episodes of the Ron and Don Show to listen to. So, and the quality of our broadcast, we're working on that too because it looks like Ron's going to be on South Lake Union. I'm going to be a Queen Anne for a while and we know that this is a little hard to listen to. Uh, so we're, we purchased some equipment and it'll be, uh, it'll be better in no time, you guys. So hang in there with us. All right. Hey, the going gets tough. The tough get going. My grandpa always says that. And in times like this, you hear people taking these catchphrases and throwing those around. And just because you have a catchphrase, it doesn't mean that you understand what that catchphrase means, that you own it, that it's in you, that it's changed you. And I'm like, I remember grandpa Charlie saying that, and this is a tough time. Uh, so I should probably get going, but who said that did a little research. Do you know what Joe Kennedy is? Joe Kennedy was the father of John F. Kennedy and the family, the Kennedy family has always had mantras and the mantras for the Kennedy family was that, well, that was the mantra when the going gets tough, the tough get going. World War II, Lieutenant John F. Kennedy is out in a PT-109 boat. That's a torpedo boat. 14 crew members aboard. And their job, that's a quick action, swift boat. Not a lot of armor on that boat. So if you get hit, you're going down. And their job is to scoot around those destroyers and try to torpedo one and take them down. Or maybe even take out a submarine if you can with a PT-109. Anyway, they see a Japanese vessel. vessel. They're going to try to take it down, fire their torpedo. The next thing you know, torpedoes fired at that. Their boat blows up. 14 crew members, including Lieutenant John F. Kennedy, are in the water. They're 3.5 miles from the nearest island. It is dark out. He looks over at one of his officers. 70% of his body had been burned. Other men are missing. He thinks there's 11 men that are still alive. One thing that John F. Kennedy knew how to do, he knew how to swim. He'd been swimming since he was very young. In fact, he won a bronze uh, medal in the Pan Am American Games. And he said to himself, you know what? He remembered that family mantra. He was scared to death. He was full of fear. He turned his fear into fuel, and he said, you know what? The going gets tough. This is tough right now. So the tough get going. So he told some of his men to grab scraps of PT-109. He tied a rope to the scrap. He put the rope in his mouth. He grabbed it with his teeth, and he did the thing that he knew to do. He started to swim, and he swam. In fact, on his first swim, he swam 3.5 miles, Japanese all around, because anytime they took a boat down, they were looking to come with machine guns and finish them off. He saw the island. He began to swim. Took four hours to save his first crew member. They would go on to save 11. 
he would swim for days. He himself, his back, since he was a little boy, was racked with pain. And he had really hurt it in this accident. As a result of that, won a Purple Heart, Bronze Star, the V for Victory Medal, just a chest full of medals. And people look back at that and they say, man, how did you have the fortitude in the middle when the shh hits the fan? And it was that family mantra that was in him when the going gets tough. The tough don't sit here. They're not controlled by fear. They acknowledge the fear. They embrace the fear. And then you know what? They get going. I think a lot of us are going through that right now. It's tough. You acknowledge that. And then you look at the things that you can control. You look at the things that you can do. Because there's things you can't control and you can do. And then there's things that are completely out of your control. But control the things you can and get going. Get going. And for a lot of us, it is time to get going, to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the fear, embrace it, and get going. He would remember that again during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He would remember that again during the Bay of Pigs. And then his family and his wife would remember that when he was shot in Dallas in 1963. Jackie O said to herself, the entire family said, the going is tough. Our world leader has been assassinated. But she got on that plane with brains and blood all over her body, said, where's Lyndon Johnson? Lyndon, it's your turn. Let's get going. You guys, thanks for stopping by. Episode number 104 of the Ron and Don Show. We acknowledge that it is tough and things are different. If you're stuck at home with your partner... Turn on semester Perel. Learn to touch each other in different ways. Lock the door. Maybe have conversations that we haven't had in a long time. The going is tough. Let's get going. He's Ron. I'm Don. You keep your head up, your shoulders back, and we will see you for episode number 105 of the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ron and Don. <laughs> you good? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going.